Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of Forged in Ohio. This is Jake Mern, the host of the podcast, and we've arrived already to episode 20. It's been an incredible ride, and to celebrate, we have one of the best fighters from the state of Ohio joining me today. He's been in this game for under three years, yet he went 7-2 and two as an amateur mixed martial artist, and now he is 5-1 and one as a professional. He's 3-0 and oh in LFA and already knocking on the doors of stardom. He is the one and only Dylan the Mindless Hulk Budka. Thanks for coming on the show, Dylan, and welcome to Forge in Ohio. Hey, I appreciate you having me, brother. Thank you so much. Man, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and getting on the podcast with me. I want to start by talking about your upbringing and how you got into combat sports in the first place. You know, you're still relatively new to the fight game and such a young and hungry MMA fighter. I know you're from Maryland, but you fight out of Ohio. Talk to me about your upbringing in Maryland and what brought you to the Buckeye State. Um, well, I wrestled and played football in Baltimore, Maryland a lot, and I eventually accepted an offer to Notre Dame College in Cleveland, Ohio, and I uh, had a full ride for wrestling there. Um, from there on out, I uh, made my wrestling game as good as possible with the animals that were in that room, and then I ran into a professional fighter named Ferraris Golden, and after I met him, I kind of got deeper into the MMA game, started learning a little bit about it, watching some fights and stuff like that. And then when COVID happened, it kicked everybody out of school and stuff. And I went back home, started doing dumb stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. And Ferraris contacted me and was like, hey, get your butt up to Demolition Fight Team and uh, start training again. And I, for some reason, something in my head said, yeah, go do it. And then I moved into the gym and now we're here. Yeah, it's been an incredible ride ever since. So your initial exposure to combat sports was in wrestling. What encouraged you in the first place, all the way back in Baltimore, to get encouraged to actually go into wrestling? I had, I, I knew how to tackle people really good, and uh, my wrestling coach taught me a double leg. So I just started double legging everybody, and then I got really good at double legging everybody. And then <laughs> we ended up continuing to double leg everybody in college, so we stuck with it. Hey, fair enough, man. I know you've <laughs> competed in your fair share of boxing matches as well. I'm sure you're just trying to develop a well-rounded game and complement your wrestling style. With that wrestling background, though, what was that initial exposure like to striking and boxing and actually having to worry about getting struck in the head and defending punches? My coaches and my team really uh, like to concentrate on our weaknesses. And when I first got here, of course, my weaknesses were throwing hands and not being afraid to let them go and hurt somebody with them instead of just going for the takedown all the time. So we found the best amateur boxers that we could get to step in the ring while I was uh, perfecting my hands and getting them crisp enough to get in the cage with the top athletes. And it was really uncomfortable at first because I wanted to double leg. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, eventually it just got to the point where I got as comfortable as I am with my wrestling that I am with my hands because I was forced to be in an uncomfortable position that I had to learn to get comfortable in. How many boxing matches or, you know, sparring in the gym did it take you to actually feel comfortable going in there and and striking with your hands? Honestly, it took every day. Like, every day I still get a little bit more comfortable with standing up with somebody better. But the best thing, honestly, wasn't even the fights or it was more of, like, going to other gyms and different area codes and, in situations where I know them gyms are going to try to prove a point to show that their hands are better than mine, and that brought it out of me. It made it feel like a 
kind of like a dangerous environment. Like I'm stepping in the other territory grounds to throw hands with somebody that like boxing gyms. I would go to boxing gyms in Pittsburgh and Toledo where they wouldn't allow me to go for a shot. And they would say, no, we're standing up. And that honestly got me more comfortable with throwing my hands more in the fight. Yeah. And in boxing, you were pretty successful, right? Yeah. I went 12 and 0 in boxing with two amateur boxing titles. Man, just even more validation there for what you've done with your hands and complimenting that wrestling style. You mentioned your gym. You fight out of Demolition Fight Team. You're actually the first fighter I've had on Forge in Ohio from that gym. So talk to me and tell me a little bit more about training at Demolition. In my eyes, not just because it's the only gym I've trained, like it's my home gym, I believe we're the meanest gym in Ohio. No matter what fight we're given, we accept it. No matter who it is, we accept it, and we're known for taking all the fights that nobody else wants. Since I've become an amateur, before I even started, the only fights I got was against fighters in their hometown and fighters that I'm going to their backyard, and it's the guys that nobody wants to fight, and that's just how our gym goes. We send the contract. We don't care who it is. We go in there and prepare for whoever it is because we believe when we go against the top opponents as an amateur, it'll prepare us for the top shows like the UFC Fight Pass shows and the big show. We won't be uncomfortable going against that guy that wants it just as bad as us. So if I describe to, to describe us as a gym, I would say we're one of the meanest and most dedicated, some of the dedicated fighters I've ever met out of all the gyms I've went to. Who else out of Demolition should people keep an eye on? Who else are you training with? Anybody coming up on the rise like you are? Top fighters that we got coming up that are amateurs. We got Mateo Gardner. We got um, Jimmy Fadfam. We got Quentin Richards. We got um, Jaden Talker. We got Ferraris Golden. We got uh, we got a whole bunch of killers in there, man. Uh, we got Mark Triff. He just came from Finley, College, Finley University. He's starting his fighting career. Um, he should be making his debut here soon. And... Um, we got a packed gym full of killers, man. And that's just the start of it, the ones I can think of off the top of my head right now. We got RJ Flores. We got professional boxers coming up, Romel Turan, And all these guys help me. They might be amateurs, but they, they bring it to me every time I step in that room to prepare me for my fights. Yeah, it sounds like a great group, man. And talk to me a little bit about the gauntlet workout at Demolition. Our gauntlets are pretty crazy. <laughs> so pretty much if we say we're preparing for a five-round five fight, a uh, three-round fight for me in five minutes, we'll put every aspect of a fighter in them rounds. So I would go against a different style fighter every minute of each round, but they're coming in fresh every time. So a minute I would go with a wrestler that was trying to take me down. Then the next round we'll start, let's say, Quentin on my back with a rear naked in or boots in, and I'll have to get out of that. After that minute, we'll bring in one of my pro boxers. And then after that, we'll do a kickboxing round. And then the last round will end with either like a conditioning type thing or a straight boxer again then the next round we'll do that we'll do that for three rounds and that's probably one of the hardest things that i've done in my career in the practice room is going through them rounds with all them guys but it makes the fight way easier than what that is yeah man that gauntlet sounds insane talk to me about like the first gauntlet you ever participated in was it just a wake-up call were you just shocked and like what is going on here do you remember that first experience um i still talk to my about my first experience after I see new guys come in and get their first gauntlet in, I remember my first gauntlet was, uh, you might know some of the names, Patrick Beamer, Jaden Talker, and Ferraris Golden were my first gauntlet ever. And I remember afterwards, it was probably like a month of being there, and I was like, 
what am I getting into? Why am I doing this? Because <laughs> I got literally the hell beat out of me. And I realized that that's what I needed to realize what this sport was and the sacrifice you got to make. Because every day you walk into that gym, no matter how good you are, if you're in the right gym, you're not going to have a great practice. And that's when you're going to have to keep pushing through to the next one. Yeah, and it's just everybody pushing each other, making everyone better. You're also an assistant coach at Demolition, helping train fighters and the next generation of kids. How did you get into that role, and what's it like playing such a big part in some of these kids' lives? That has been one of my favorite parts of this, and learning how to coach, how to connect with different fighters. And I also train bitty wrestlers and a wrestling program we got out of Demolition and work with kids from the ages of three all the way up to high schoolers and it um it's it's helped me perfect my game too because i'll be showing something i'll be oh damn i just showed that wrong and then i'll fix it the next time i do it and it hasn't only allowed me to help others it's allowed me to help myself because it just makes me feel good it uh it feels good when they come up to me or and they do something i helped told them to do or taught them and after the fight if i'm in their corner and i see they took him down the way I showed him or stuffed a shot or threw a right hand the way I showed him. It just makes me feel good as a coach and motivates me to keep going because all the lives I'm changing too. Yeah, man, I guess just talk a little bit more about that. You know, when you see a kid that you've trained break through, whether it be just getting that smallest little takedown that you trained for them or potentially even winning a match, what is that experience like for you as their coach, maybe even their mentor to a certain extent? Um, It makes me feel like, it just makes me feel like, even more of a champion because if I'm able to change lives like that and I'm able to make somebody believe in himself that didn't believe in himself before, that's that's the shoes I was in three years ago. I was like, damn, should I do this? Damn, should I actually continue to train this fight and stuff? Should I, is this worth it? And that's the stuff I was figuring out. And I had my head coach tell me, yeah, let's do it. And I had my training partner say, yeah, do it. I just needed them two or three people to believe in me. And it made me continue to want to do it. And that's what I want to be for some kids. If, I, if I'm able to have one kid or two kids get up and change their life because I said they can do it and they believe in me, then that just makes me even more of a champion than any type of title or any dollar can bring me. That'll make me feel good, too. Yeah, it's great what you're doing at Demolition, man. I also see you cross-training a lot on social media, most notably with Immortal Martial Arts Center in Columbus, Ohio. What's it like going to deep waters with Mark the Hammer Coleman and all those guys there? Man, I love Mark, man. He's crazy. He's crazy yeah. as hell. And uh, I love the way that when we're in there and we're going to his deep waters and stuff, he, how he's yelling and, like, he's different type of motivation and hearing such a legend and a, a Hall of Famer be able to push you and, like I said, believe in you and see the image that you see. It just it gives me a good feeling. Oh, okay, I, I'm believing. I'm uh, believed in by a legend that everybody knows. Everybody And me and Mark got – pretty close after the first time I got there because we both like to do the same thing uh, and that's just take them down and beat them up. All the training partners up there, Miles Robinson and all the guys I've met up there since I started training up there have been real welcoming and they always want me to come up there and uh, it's, it's it makes me feel like I have a second home that I can go to and uh, beat each other up at. So I really appreciate Immortal Martial Arts and everybody over there, especially Mark. Yeah, man, I was going to ask you about Miles Hershey Robinson. You mentioned him. He was my first ever guest on Forge in Ohio, and he fights soon on March 18th. I guess just talk to me a little bit about his game and your relationship that you've built with him. Miles is probably the first person I actually like got hard rounds in at Immortal because we're around the same weight class. We kind of got different games. Like 
he, he's more of a striker and I'm more of a wrestler, but we can perfect each other in them crafts to get better in our spots. But um, honestly, out of everybody that gym, he's probably the closest I've got with. Like, we hit each other up. We thank each other. We uh, go over game plans together. We talk about each other's uh, social medias. We, like, shout each other out. We just show love to each other for real, and I appreciate Miles. He's a great athlete. I'm excited for his fight coming up. I think he's got a good shot to um, crank the rankings after beating Kaiser. Yeah, man, I'm excited for March 18th and see him get back to work as well. Before we get into some of your fights, though, and your notable performances, I have to ask about the nickname, the Mindless Hulk. It's completely unique to you. You probably get this question a lot, but where did that nickname come from? So um, when I was wrestling in high school and stuff, everybody called me a Hulk because I would get mad and just slam people on their head a little bit. But uh, I got to demolition, and I wanted to have, like, a brand, like something that um, explained me, explained something that, like, could connect to everybody else and the main thing i could think about is mindless mindless being mindless when the obstacles come don't care just go do your thing be mindless and uh push through everything that comes your way that's kind of what i did regardless of what was thrown my way i got through it and i pushed through it and i was mindless i didn't care and i wanted that to connect with everybody that supported me and upcomers and people that are just going through a lot to continue to push through their their problems and they can make it through anything. And so I stuck with mindless and stay mindless and I'm the mindless hog. Yeah, man, it's inspirational. It's a great nickname and it's even a great brand that you created for yourself as well. Once again, we are talking to Dylan, the mindless Hulk Budka on Forge in Ohio. I have to ask about your incredible run as an amateur fighter. I've always been told that as an amateur, you can fight seven or so times in a year. If you stay healthy, you fought nine times in 2021, which was your first year competing and you boxed just as much in that same year. Does that year to you seem like a blur? Just talk to me more about that busy 2021. Honestly, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty much a blur. That's yeah. the first time somebody labeled it like that. And I'm like, yeah, that that's right. There was some weeks that we went straight into the fight camp. Like, I, like you know how like somebody have a fight and the next day you get to smash and then the next day you get to smash again and you smash again on food and stuff and get your weight back. I didn't really have that as an amateur, which I'm thankful for because it prepared me for the fights as a pro it it made me realize you gotta keep pushing you gotta accept as many there's guys that i see that are fighting that are taking one three fights a year one to two three fights a year as an amateur like you ain't a pro yet you gotta go get them fights you gotta go fight everybody every chance you get because there's people out there moving man they're trying to get to the top they're trying to get paid there's guys that are broke out there that want to make some money and they're gonna surpass you if you don't go get them fights and um, I see a lot of guys that are fighting on the same shows all the time. As an amateur, I fought on all nine of them fights. I think I fought maybe one on the two on the same show, and the rest were Alabama, Kentucky, Pennsylvania. I hit every area code as an amateur that I could, and um, it prepared me to go against the top guys because I wasn't picking and choosing my fights. Who cares as an amateur? Now that I'm a pro. Nobody talks about my amateur career, the amateur belts I have, the amateur wins, who I went against because they're worried about the pro level. So who cares what you do as an amateur? Go go lose as many as possible and learn who you are as a fighter or win as many as possible and learn what you can fix for your professional level. And, and that's how you become the best level you can before you turn pro. Yeah, and to your point, it almost all boils down to cage time, right? I mean, cage time yeah. is so important. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's one of the biggest things that 
I'm happy my coaches made me do, but I thought was crazy at the time. I was like, why the hell am I fighting every week, man? And these guys fight <laughs> once every couple months. And then eventually it made sense. I was like, all right. Like, I, there was one week I would, I fought in Kentucky. The next week I had a boxing fight. And the next week I had to go to Alabama to fight for my first amateur title. So it was like, and then I, I, it was busy. There's a lot of traveling, but it made me to fight I am today. Yeah, but having to worry about different disciplines, of course, competing in boxing and MMA in that same year and doing all the traveling that you were doing in 2021. Talk to me about how you were able to develop your skill set, because some people might see the travel and all those fights and disciplines as a distraction. But for you, you were just developing that cage time and making that well-rounded skill set. Talk to me about how that skill set evolved in 2021. I feel like before... I started traveling. I already had the uh, the skills and I had the ability to to go against all these guys and stuff like that. I, I guess more of the cage time and the time being in, like just being in there and going against all them guys. We were more of them working on being comfortable in there to show the skills off because uh, we all know the biggest thing that affects a fighter is the nerves, which everybody has, regardless what they say or what you do or what these people come on here and say, and they're saying they're not nervous. They're nervous. Everybody's nervous when they get in there. And there's a 90% chance the guy across the cage is shitting himself when you're about to fight. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just when you can control them nerves and control what you do when them nerves are coming. And again, going back to being comfortable, being uncomfortable, because regardless of the situation, you're uncomfortable getting in that cage. You just got to learn how to be comfortable in there. And I feel like that was the main thing me and my coaches were working on and my partners is just allow me to show what I do in the room, in the cage when the lights are on. Yeah, man, and you're still so new to this game, just under three years of experience, both amateur and professionally. Talk to me about when you actually felt comfortable going in there. I know I'm sure the stress and anxiety still gets to you time and time again, but when were you actually comfortable getting in there time and time again? After I signed my LFA contract and I started realizing what, they were trying to make me in to be. I, I felt like it might not have been real or not, but they knew I was unexperienced and they were matching me up with experienced guys and they were they were trying to bring me in to lose. My last three fights I was brought in to lose just because they I they, they I felt like they felt like I wasn't experienced enough. My first LFA fight was against a guy with four knockouts. He was the LFA number one contender. I had two fights and he just came off a knockout. Of course they're bringing me in to lose. They they didn't think I was gonna win that fight. The next fight after that I, I was brought in against uh, whatever John Jones' gym, gym's is, but he he trained in that Jackson Wink. He was, Jackson Wink, and he was 4-0 or whatever with all knockouts. I was supposed to lose that fight. He's a striker, and he had a decent wrestling last fight I went against. He was undefeated, and he is a three-time All-American. They were bringing me in to lose against him too, but I kept proving my point, and I feel like that made me realize, all right, who cares? He's trying to take something that's mine, and, he, and then these promotions are trying to set these up to where I lose these fights and I'm like, nah, I'm not dealing with that. So I eventually just got comfortable being uncomfortable in the heat because I'm going to be the guy they bring in to do that. But now I'm starting to prove a point. So they're going to stop doing that eventually. Right. It sounds like you thrive in that setting. Does it just motivate you even more when it's, you know, LFA is putting you against those guys with the intention of you losing that fight. Does that just motivate you even more? Yeah, It made me realize I need to go get my respect because like you said, I ain't been doing it that long, but I need to go get what they got already and take it from them. And that just made me more more fierce in there. And it, it brought something out of me that 
wasn't there before as an amateur, and it made me realize I got to get what's mine instead of waiting for what's mine. You're now on a five-fight winning streak, three of which are in LFA. Right before you joined LFA, though, you recorded the fastest professional B2 fighting series KO in history. I'm sure you get asked about that nine-second knockout win over Jet Jones a lot, but how do you quantify what that fight meant to you and what it did for you in your career? That fight was two fights after my um, first my first professional loss, my first fight as a professional, and I would I kind of went in like a, a kind of like I had to regroup myself and figure out how to fix my mistakes and how to fix like it was my first pro loss was a, a wake up call, so it made me realize I gotta I gotta figure some stuff out, and that's when I kind of went on that streak where I was like, all right, I gotta go get what's mine, and that that fight got a lot of attention on me and it showed people I also got power in these hands which also feared opponents too that oh we gotta worry about the shot and he might knock my ass out so that that excited me and it showed me what I'm capable of doing and it made me want to bring him out more yeah now that pro MMA loss in your career just seems like an afterthought it seems like it was so long ago because of that five fight winning streak you're on right now I also wanted to ask you about your unanimous decision win over Liddell Pogue. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that name right. Last August, you won convincingly, yet there was bad blood after that fight when he didn't shake your hand and you put a middle finger in his face. What exactly <laughs> happened there, man? So I'm never like disrespectful to my opponents. I respect everybody because it's like, why? We're about to go fight, bro. We can disrespect each other in there and beat each other up and then forget about it. But I usually don't look at the articles and stuff, but before this fight, something told me to go look at some of the stuff he was saying, and I was sent this article from MMA Sucker, and it's a pretty big article. I'm sure you heard of it, and he was talking about how he's from the real trenches, and uh, he's a project baby, and and he's from the hood, but he didn't do enough research on me because I'm from Baltimore, and I'm like, bro, like, why are you even saying this? And that was kind of disrespectful to me in my head from where I'm home. Where I'm from, if you say something like that, those are like battling words. Like, I'm trying to like, and then that made me want to hurt him even more. So when we go to the face-offs, he wore, he wore a black panther mask. And I take this serious. I'm real professional with everything I do. And I felt like he was taking me as a game and taking it not serious that he was going against me. And I was so capable of hurting him. And I wanted to so bad. But after the fight, it was over. We set our stuff during the fight. We were talking while I was on top of him beating his face in and shoving my forearm in. And I was like, all right, it's over. Let me shake your hand. And he was like, oh, he's just being a sore loser and stuff. Like, but... That was pretty much what it was. He was just talking too much, and I don't talk like that, and I felt disrespected. I feel like some fighters fight with you know a different anger and different passion when they are angry at their opponent, and they fight better in some cases, but even worse in other cases. For you, going in there and having that experience where you just did not like the guy you were fighting, you thought that he was disrespecting you, talk to me about how maybe that might have affected your fighting experience that night. Oh, I definitely was... I was angry as hell. I wanted to rip his face off. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I still fought normal. I still, I still, I made a mistake in there. I tried to throw a flying knee because I was trying to take his face off. I feel like that was the only thing that, uh, that kind of, I was over pursuing that knee. And I was like, okay, I'm going to really try to bring his face off of his body. But that was really it. I still controlled my emotions while I was in there. And I still did the game plan we prepared for. But yeah, it, it didn't really, uh, it didn't affect how angry, like how angry I was. And I still went back to professional mode, but then I got angry again when he didn't shake my hand. 
Your last fight was a unanimous decision win over Wes Schultz in January. The fight was just a day before your 23rd birthday. I guess there's no better gift than winning a pro MMA fight. What do you think about your performance against Schultz? I'm happy that I was able to show that I can out-wrestle the better wrestler on paper. But I really wanted to show, we planned to show my hands off more that fight. But uh, we didn't really get to as much as we wanted to. We showed him off a little bit. We rocked him with a head kick in the third round. I threw a Superman punch and broke his nose in the first. But uh, I really wanted just to stand up and show the world that I got the hands that I do. But eventually went back to the home roots where he got too close and I just took him for a ride and it just stayed there for the rest of the fight kind of. And I uh, outclassed him on the ground. He threw up a little triangle at the end that was pretty tight and um, it actually affected me pretty good. But I, I got out of it with a little bit of time left and I finished on top and grounded kind of a little bit more. But um, I wish I would have shoot through my hands off a little bit more. But I was able to show the world how good my wrestling and my strength was compared to all these middleweights. Yeah, that you did, man. I want to ask you this kind of broad question here. You won four amateur MMA titles, two amateur boxing titles, and now you're on this impressive five-fight winning streak, three of which are in LFA, as I mentioned. Three years ago, before you started fighting, would you believe me if I told that old version of you that you would have made this much progress today? Yeah, I do. I, I believe when I first started and I went against Derek Overstreet, that my goal has always been to make it to the top. Every time I get in the training room and every time I've stepped in the room, I've always prepared for the biggest athletes in the world. And I haven't just prepared for West Charlotte or Lydell Pogue or T. Cummins I, or none of the amateurs I went against. I prepared for the big show. I prepared for Adesanya. I prepare for Whitaker. I prepare for the top guys at the top, top show because that's what I'm looking forward to. And I believe that I can make it there since I started training. Well, that's incredible. You're actually training four guys in the UFC at the highest level, like the Whitakers of the world and the Adesanyas too? Yeah, that, that if you're not trying to make it to that far, I don't see the point of even doing this really to get some pictures and say I'm a fighter. Like, sure. I can I can tell when people step in the room and they really want it. And I can tell when people are trying to do it to get some pictures. And I can tell when people are really like, like they they're they're trying to get to the top and I really want to get to the top and I want to try to motivate everybody to realize that they can too. I'm not going to stop until I until I get that car, get that opportunity to show the world what I'm capable of. Absolutely, man. And you mentioned his name. I guess I'll ask you UFC 287 next month, Adesanya Pajeda, the rematch. Does Adesanya get his belt back? What do you think? Oh, man. That <laughs> is I don't know, man. It's crazy. I always say Adesanya's going to pull it off and then he pulls it off. The other, he, what's his face? Pulls it off again. And um, I'm going to beat all their asses when I get there. So I'm going to just take all of them down. All right. Fair enough, man. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> this has, It's just been so impressive watching your career and seeing how quickly this has come to fruition for you. You have to be disciplined, coachable, and receptive to new things to really be able to do what you pulled off so far in your career. Is that what it's been? How have you been able to do it so far, man? The main thing you have to have when you're trying to do what I'm trying to do and, and train as much as I do is consistency when you're not motivated. Because when you stay consistent, you're able to continue to find your motivation again. And every time it, it gets hard some mornings and I'm like, I don't want to wake up and do this again. Or that 1030 practice when you just got shit beat out of you in the morning practice. <laughs> But then morning practice, when you wake up at 6.45 and you go in the room and get beat up by your partner and you got to come back again, it's like, oh, man. 
but uh, I stayed consistent, and I feel like consistency is more important than motivation because consistency brings back motivation when you need it, and that's allowed me to continue to grow, learn my techniques, and become able to compete with the top athletes in the world. Yeah, people should really be studying your career and seeing how you have rose to the top so quickly. Once again, this is Dylan, the Mindless Hulk Budco with us on Fortune Ohio. I know you're hungry for that LFA middleweight championship and you have one fight left on your deal. Is that in fact what you want next and any potential update in that fight? We've had four people back out for that month already. Uh, We're looking at April 21st. They have to have my fight figured out by then. I told them I would do the fight in New York this month coming up because there's not a time that I don't stay ready and close enough to wait to where I can make it. And um, we try to stay ready for anything that pops up. But we're looking for April 21st right now in Minnesota to end the career out for LFA where it started. We don't know if we're going to resign with them yet. We got to go over the, the paperwork and the numbers and stuff like that. But I've called out the champion there. I've called out the interim title there. I've called out the Brazil champion there. Like, I'm ready for my shot, and I feel like I've done enough to deserve it. Yeah, if you had to predict how things play out, you know, April 21st, that's definitely a compelling date, and then that would be your last fight in your future with LFA, all obviously on the line as well. If you were to predict how everything were to turn out, what would you predict? I predict that my next opponent, I go show my hands off, I knock him out, and then I get my shot on a contender series this year. Interesting, man. That's compelling. That would be great to see you in a contender series spot. And I want to talk to you about that here shortly. But something that I was impressed by when getting prepared for this podcast was your branding. You were recently featured on the Double Click podcast with your manager, Drake Jimenez. How have you been able to brand yourself so well? Shout out to Drake for one thing and Holy Hill Media. They've helped me out a lot with organization and um just kind of like putting everything together where it needs to be. But before I started fighting and before I got to the professional level, I did a lot of studying of how I can do it full time without having to get a side job or work at a restaurant or something. I studied McGregor and I studied O'Malley and all the guys online that make their extra money on the side. And I learned that it's not just going to the room and training and fighting. It's also selling yourself, knowing your worth and, understanding what your label is what your label means and i felt like i had this conversation with my manager drake and he said what is your three things that you want to do and it's to inspire motivate and never be broke again and that's what my brand is kind of when they think of the mindless hawk that's what they think of and that's what i had to figure out before i even started branding myself Yeah, man, those are three great principles to to go by. Talk to me about what Mindless Mania Boxing Series is, how it started up, and how it's been run since. So after a first couple pro fights, I was thinking of uh, different things to expand myself. And um, I've seen people made restaurants and different types of podcasts and stuff like that. But I wanted to be different. I wanted to do something different. So I thought let's do a boxing show and get some fighters on our out of town, like how they did for me, like how my coaches did for me. And I made it in the venue where I first started boxing, which I thought was pretty cool too. So I got a crew that helps me set up. Um, I got a boxing ring. My coach owns um, a venue where I'm able to host it that he also had me fight in was venue 18 entertainment complex. And I contact all the gyms that I go to and train and I contact fighters that have fighters and all types of stuff like that. And, 
ever since I started it, I kind of did the stuff for the boxing shows that MMA fighters like, like the pictures and the face-offs and the pictures during the fights. They get drinks and stuff for them. I make them feel like they're special and professional so they can have that idea of what they're going to get when they make it to the big show because I've been to so many different uh, promotions and stuff, so I see what I liked and what things how they made me feel like I was a celebrity. And I know that's what I liked feeling like while I was traveling. So I try to give them that feeling before they get it. So they have something to look forward to and they're motivated to fight. What's the future and the ceiling, I guess, for mindless mania boxing series. I've been trying to figure out what I could do to get it to the biggest point as possible. The main thing that motivated me to do that was seeing like the Peter Pettis, the Pettis boxing show and, Jorge Masvidal's icon, like, it made me realize, why can't I do that, too? Like, I can do something like that, and I want to make it, like, I want to get up there with the Showtimes and the, the Fight Pass type of pay-per-view shows and stuff, and I'm, I'm really trying to work towards it starting to pop like that, and I have a pay-per-view crew and stuff that's helping me out with that. It's called Carnage Fight Series, and, and it's helping me out a lot, get to the levels I wanted to get to. You mentioned the Contender Series not too long ago, and we're in a time in combat sports where it feels like the UFC might not be the destination for everyone, or at least there are competing promotions, you know? You're probably the closest fighter to signing with a major promotion that I've had on Forge in Ohio. Would signing with a PFL or Bellator interest you, or is it strictly UFC at this point or nothing? Me and my team and my managers have discussed this a lot, like figuring out what's after LFA. We're interested in doing like one-offs, like where we sign with Bellator for a fight, or we sign with PFO uh, or Cage Warriors for a fight. All these guys, all these promotions are interested in me coming. They hear that my contract's ending, and um, Cage Warriors, PFL, Bellator. But we're really interested in signing our next contract with the UFC because that's been my main goal since I started: is making it to the UFC and making an impact in the UFC. But until we make it there, we we have no problem doing one-offs and like having a fight here, having a fight there and uh, get my image out to everywhere it can possibly get before we get to that big show. Yeah, I mean, I could certainly see you there at the big show as well. Fill in the blank for me on this one, Dylan. At the end of 2023, Dylan Budka is blank. Undefeated in the UFC. Wow, that's compelling, man. How many fights are you going to get in the UFC in 2023, do you think? Man, I want at least two. I want at least two, but I will fight as much as possible. I don't care. I will go every month for the UFC. So, if Danny, you're listening to Forge on how I will fight as much as possible for you, anybody, right now in the middleweight division. All right, man. That's one hell of a call-out right here on Forge in Ohio. You heard him. You heard what he wanted. Dylan Budka, 2-0 in the UFC by the end of 2023. You'd love to hear. That's very exciting stuff right there, Dylan. Before we wrap up, anything you want to shout out in terms of social media handles, sponsorships, anything you want to plug here on the podcast? Uh, shout out to my manager, marketing management, Holy Hill Media, and my manager, Drake Jimenez. I'm sorry if I said the last name wrong. I suck at saying names, <laughs> but that's my boy. That's my boy, Drake. Uh, follow me on Instagram at the Mindless Hawk. Follow my my team Instagram at Demolition Fight Team, and make sure you check out Forged in Ohio on Instagram and everywhere else. I appreciate you having me, brother. Hey, man, thank you for that shout-out. Thanks again for joining me on the show. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, and it was a pleasure being able to talk to you. I know you're from Maryland, but you do a great job representing Ohio, and there's only one way I like to end interviews on Fortune Ohio. It's with a chant that I'm sure you're familiar with. So, OH.
I owe. There we go. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks go. again for joining me. Uh, I look forward to covering you in the future, and hopefully we'll talk down the line soon, man. Hey, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. That was Dylan, the mindless Hulk Budka, the five-in-one professional mixed martial artist. He has a great background in wrestling, but he's also so well-versed in the cage. I mentioned in my interview with Josh the Flying Hawaiian Pereira that he was a guy who I could see on our TVs one day soon, and I feel confident saying that about Dylan Budka as well. The future couldn't be brighter for this young man. That's going to do it for episode 20 of Forged in Ohio. I can't believe we're already 20 episodes in and I am not going anywhere anytime soon. I do ask that you support the podcast by rating it five stars, downloading episodes, and sharing it with others as well. Thank you all for tuning in. I've been your host, Jake Marin, and this was Forged in Ohio.